0: Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being fine in appearance as man, he humbled himself Dear Father, we come before you now asking, Lord, for you to give us new hearts this morning. Speak to us through your words, Lord, to stir in our hearts a desire for unity in our church and for the church as a whole. Father, we need your grace. Our hearts are rebellious against you and your ways. And Lord, we need your grace and mercy to reorient our hearts towards you and to the life and the church that you are calling us to live. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, you might look around and think, something's different this morning. Something's missing. Well, you're right. Our youth group, our youth group is missing, and a handful of adult leaders are away right now on our youth mission trip, as well as Pastor Mike. So yes, it feels different. It feels like something is, is missing. Sunday morning worship just doesn't feel the same without our youth group. Now, this is something our youth group does every year. It's something they are committed to as part of who they are. Mission trips are always one of the highlights of the years for those who goes on them. They can always look back to that mission trip and see ways that God worked in and through them on those trips. I remember going on a mission trip myself when I was in my church youth group growing up back in in Troy, Ohio. And one year we were all super excited about that year's mission trip. And for some of us, we probably weren't excited about that trip for the right reasons. Because our youth pastor, we were all excited because our youth pastor announced that for that year's mission trip, we were going to West Palm Beach, Florida. So we were all like, I'll go, I'll sign up for that one. You know, we didn't even know what we were doing. We didn't care what we were doing. West Palm Beach, I'll sign up to go there. So I signed up to go, you know, probably not for the best reasons. But the thing that was so memorable about that year's mission trip was the amount of challenges and hardships that we faced on this trip. The day before our trip, our youth pastor went to pick up the trailer that we needed to haul all of our supplies and gears all the way down to Florida, and when he showed up to pick up the trailer, no trailer, no reservation, nothing. Here he was a day before the mission trip and no trailer, no means of hauling all of our supplies and gear down. But thankfully in God's providence, he was able to get a trailer, we were able to set out on our trip as normal. Then on the way down, we saw things that I still to this day have, have never seen. We're driving down the highway, and on the other side of the highway, there's a a tanker truck in flames. And as we're driving past, we're thinking, what are we supposed to do here? Should we even be here? Is this safe? I don't know. And then later on, as we're driving down the highway, right in front of us, we see two cars collide, go into the wall, and a car flips over on top of it. And we're just so shocked, and thankfully, everyone was okay. And then when we got down there, just one thing after another hardships, challenges continued to come. I got poison ivy all over my hands and my arms, was just totally miserable the whole week. Some of those on the youth group got sunburned so bad they couldn't even leave the room the whole entire time. And my friend, he decided that it would be a good idea to do a sailor dive into a four-foot pool. So naturally, he ended up in the emergency room. I mean, it just seemed like there was just one thing after another with this trip that was hindering us from keeping our, our minds and our hearts on our on our purpose for being there in the first place. Now, I've I've decided to save this story until when Mike is already away on the mission trip where he can't hear all these things, you know. But Mike knows, right? Mike's aware of all the challenges that could come when leading a team on a mission trip. The challenges that are constantly pulling the hearts and the minds of those on the team Away from their purpose of being there in the first place. You see, this common experience that happens on youth mission trips like this of distractions and challenges that pull our hearts and our minds away from our purpose. It's often the same thing that happens in the church today. The church today is so fractured and divided because we have forgotten that we have a purpose. Rather than setting our minds and our hearts on the purpose and the mission that we have been given, we get wrapped up in our differences, our own interests, and our own personal agendas. And what happens is the church becomes a place that's fractured, divided, and where we're just simply trying to tolerate one another. And that's not what the church is to be. So as we look at Philippians 2 this morning, we're gonna see that the church is to be a body of like-minded believers united together with Christ as we imitate his humility. We're gonna see this in three ways. First, we are to set our minds on unity. Second, we're to set our hearts on unity. And third, we are to set our purpose on unity. Let's first look to verses one through two to see how we are to set our minds on unity. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Here Paul starts by saying, if. If this next thing is true, then what follows is for us. And he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Here he sets the baseline reality for those who are in the church. It's our union with Christ. This is what all of us have in common. We were all sinners, saved by grace, and united with Christ through faith. Before Kevin left to spend a few months on sabbatical, He chose to preach on our union with Christ. And our union with Christ is a central New Testament description of the Christian identity. If we really want to understand what it means to be a Christian in the church, then we need to understand our union with Christ. You see, the New Testament often uses words to describe our relationship with Christ. Words like in Christ, with Christ, to show that through faith we have been and grafted into Jesus in such a way to where we become one with Jesus, one with his benefits. And becoming one with Christ, we are one with his body, the church. Our union with Christ is union with his body, the church. We are one body, the church, under the headship of Christ. And when we're united with Christ, we're entitled to all of his blessings that we see here in in our passage, to encouragement, to comfort from his love, to fellowship with the Spirit, to tenderness and compassion. All these things which we receive in and through his body, the church. We cannot say, I have been united with Christ, having the benefits of Christ, and not be part of his body, the church. We need the church. We need the church. And here Paul says, if you are part of this body, the church, receiving these blessings that Christ gives to his church, then, verse 2, make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Here Paul essentially says the same thing in three ways set your minds on unity. This word that Paul uses here in the passage for mind is also used in other places in Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to look at verse 23. Right before verse 23, we have Peter's confession of who Jesus is. And Peter gets it right. Then right after Peter's confession, we have Jesus predict his death. And in verse 22, Peter... Hearing Jesus predict his death, says, Never, Lord! This shall never happen to you. And then in verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, the things of man. We see here the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 2, this word mind. See, Peter has his mind set on something other than the things of God. And because of that, Jesus rebukes him. The reality is, what Peter does in this moment, it's the same thing that all of us are so prone to doing. Rather than setting our minds on the things of God, we set our minds on our own concerns, our own agendas, our own personal gain, our own idea of what needs to happen. And if the church is full of people who set their minds on their own interests rather than the things of God, the church will be fractured. There will be divisions, there will be disunity. I mean, isn't this, isn't this exactly why there are so many divisions in the church today? Isn't this the reason why the church is so fractured and divided? Because people have set their minds on the things of man rather than the unity that God wants to see in his church, rather than the things of God. One of the sports that I played growing up was basketball. And when I was in high school, our homeschool group decided to put together a basketball team, and I was recruited to join the team. So our first year, we were terrible. We were not very good. But as years went on, we got better together at working as a team, and we got some better players. And one year, the dynamics of the team really changed as we got a new player on the team. Now, Isaac, he was a really good basketball player, but the thing about Isaac was that he had his mind set on how we were gonna win. For him, rather than working together as a team to run the plays that our coach was calling, his mind was set on scoring himself. So he would often ignore all the other players, and he would drive into the middle, into about four defenders, and try to jump up and shoot this elaborate shot. And I'd be over on the sidelines, wide open, just like, I'm wide open, I've got a shot, what are you doing? You know, and I'll admit that there were times when It worked. He was a really good basketball player, so sometimes he could score. But overall, that's not a good plan. That is not a good game plan. That's not how you win games. See, when one player has their mindset on their own goals, their own ideas, what happens? It fractures the unity of the team. It creates resentment, bitterness, jealousy. It fosters a divided team culture rather than a unified team culture. You see, good coaches know that if they want to have unity on their teams, then all the players have to set aside their own agendas, their own goals, and set their minds on the same game plan. You see, and it's when the team all sets aside their own agendas to be united in their game plan. See, that's when the teams really flourish and that's where you see teams working together well. You see, the reason why the church is so divided is because we have set our minds on the things of man rather than the calling that we have as a church. And Matthew, he left his church with a purpose, go and make disciples of all nations, of people from every background, every nation, every political conviction, every tongue. The purpose of the church is to be a place where we are united together and mission to go and make disciples. Imagine a church where the rich invite the poor to have a meal in their home, and they're smiling and laughing together. Imagine a church where two people from opposite political convictions are sitting at a dinner table together, humbly listening to one another, and at the end, of that conversation, they actually embrace one another. Imagine a church full of children from all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all walks of life running up and down our hallways and our church together. If we want to see a church that is this beautiful, we all have to set our minds on the things of God We must set our minds on unity. We must make unity in the church a higher priority than our own agendas. You see, setting our minds on unity is not enough. We have to actually want it. And as we look at the next verses, we're going to see that we are to set our hearts on unity. Look with me at verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Here in these verses, Paul begins to get at what is at the heart of unity. It's do we really want what is best for others in the church? Or do we really only care about our own interests? our own concerns. See, Paul's encouraging us to look inwards and look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, do we really want what's best for those in the church that we would actually be willing to set aside our own interests to care for them? Now, I think here we all need to be honest with ourselves in a moment and recognize that this should be convicting for all of us. Because the reality is, our our hearts want what's best for us. And when it comes time to make a choice to set aside what's best for us, to do what's in the interest of others, we don't want to do what's best for others. We want to do what's best for us. We want to be comfortable. We want an easy path. We don't want to change our plans. Paul here in these passages, he's exposing the reality of what's in our hearts. In our sinful hearts, we really don't want what's best for others if it means giving up our own interests. So we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge the sin in our hearts, and we need to seek forgiveness and ask Jesus to give us a new heart, to give us his heart, a heart that yearns to be united with others. Now, Paul here in these passages, he doesn't say that this means our own interests are not important. He doesn't say that we should never be concerned for our own interests. What does he say? He says, you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, this is a fundamental identity of the church. It's a community made up of individuals who don't just think of their own concerns, it's fundamentally a community whose hearts are oriented towards others. Henry Nouwen once said, community is first of all, a quality of the heart. It grows from the spiritual knowledge that we are not alive for ourselves, but for, for one another. If we have been united with Christ, then we have been united with his body, the church. And the identity of the church is a community who is alive not for ourselves, but for one another another? Is unity in our church something that you actually want to see? Is it something you want to see so desperately that you'd be willing to prioritize what's better for others in the church? Do you want it enough that you'd actually be willing to make sacrifices to see this happen? If we want to be a church that is united in our purpose today. In order for the church to be a place where people in this world can look and say, how is it possible that those two people could be friends? We have to be a community whose hearts are oriented and set on unity. One of the things that our hearts actually need the most to grow and wanting humility is to see examples, to see examples of those who've given up their own interests for the sake of others. When we see those amazing examples, our hearts say, I want that. I want to be like that. And our hearts have to say that I want it enough that I'll actually humble myself and consider the interests of others in the church. And we have the prime example. We have the example of that. Jesus is the best example of humbling himself for the sake of the church. And this is right where Paul takes us next, in our next verses, where we see that we are to set our purpose on unity. Talking about unity in the church, he then says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what we see here in these next verses is an example for what each of us in the church should imitate. And what pattern, what pattern does Christ set that we are to imitate? Well, the first thing we see is Christ's humility. Look with me at verses 6 through 7. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus, who is there in the very beginning, who spoke the world into existence, made himself nothing. Became man. Born as a baby in a lowly manger around animals. There is no greater example of humility. And Paul says, this should be our attitude. Each of us should follow Christ's example of humility and be willing to make ourselves nothing. And we see Christ's example of of humility that he sets as a pattern for us to follow. But we also see that his humility had a purpose. Look with me at verse 8. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus had a purpose. A purpose in which his response was humility. And that purpose that he had was to die on the cross. To die on the cross so that all peoples from all backgrounds, all nations, all tribes, all tongues could be united together with him as one body. We are to follow Christ's example of humility, which was in response to the purpose he had. We have a purpose as a church, to be united together as we go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples. We're to set our purpose on unity in the church. The story of Christ humbling himself with the purpose of giving up his life to save sinners, it's a story that captivates our hearts. And it's the reason why some stories we hear move us so deeply. One of these stories for me is a story called No Man Left Behind. This is a story that was shared by the podcast This American Life Now, the story takes place somewhere that is a nightmare for most of us, but for some people, a paradise. It takes place in an underwater cave called Bushman's Cave in South Africa. Now, at first glance, it just looks like a puddle. The opening just looks like a puddle. But there's a small slot that goes through to an underwater cavern that descends to around 1,000 feet. Now, to give you some perspective, the Eiffel Tower could stand on the floor of the cave, and the top tower would, would just about be coming out of the water. So to deep water divers, Don, Shirley, and Dave Shaw, this place was a paradise. So Don and Dave, they decided that they were going to take on Bushman's Cave. Now, these type of dives would take months and months of planning because at those depths, anything could go wrong. So many things could go wrong. It was a place where only the most experienced divers could descend. So dive, day came, and Dave went in first, followed by Don. And as they plunged into the depths of this underwater cavern, it was so dark that Don describes the dark as eating the light from his flashlights. So Dave made it to the bottom, and there's nothing to see but his light shining in the blackness. And suddenly, he saw something in front of him. His light caught the remains of Dion Dreyer. No one knows exactly what happened to Dion, but a decade earlier, Dion was diving with the team, and after they had all returned to the top of Bushman's Cave, they realized he wasn't there. Dion didn't make it out alive. So as Dave was there, looking at the remains that were still in his wetsuit, stuck in the silt on the bottom of that cavern, Dave tried to remove the body, but it would take far too much work, and at those depths, it was far too dangerous, so Dave had to leave Dion's body there in the bottom of that cavern. Dave didn't take lightly to finding Dion's body. He thought of it more as a mission, a purpose, his task, to bring this body back. So Dave began planning the next dive in Bushman's cave to retrieve Dion's body. And after months of planning, they had returned back to Bushman's cave with a purpose. Retrieve Dion's body. They had a team. Don and Dave would go the furthest, Dave going all the way to the bottom to get the body, and Don staying on the line right above Dave. And as Don descended, he got into position where he could look below to see Dave and to see Dave's light. But as Don got into position looking below, he saw a glimmer of Dave's light, and he noticed that something was wrong. Dave was spending longer doing something. So Don knew he was gonna have to do what he had never done before, descend all the way to the bottom of that cavern. But that's when things started going wrong for Don. As he started climbing further down, a piece of his breathing apparatus cracked, which meant that Don had to apply more oxygen and he inadvertently added too much. And this was extremely dangerous For Don, so Don knew he had a a new mission at that moment. Get back to the top alive. It was a ten hour ascent, and Don barely made it out alive. As hours passed, night came. Dave didn't come up. Dave was dead. A week later, Don got news that Dave's body had come up. And when Dave's body returned to the surface, hanging under Dave's body cocooned in the line that Dave had originally set was Dion Dreyer's body. It cost Dave his life, but Dave actually achieved his purpose. Dave had a purpose, a mission, to plunge into the darkest depths and bring back the body of one who had been lost. Dave gave his life to accomplish that purpose. And Jesus, too, had a purpose. To plunge into the darkest depths of our sinful, broken world and bring back those who had been lost, those who were dead in sin without any hope, And as Jesus plunged into the darkness of our sin, into this world, he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a criminal's cross. And as his body, Jesus' body, has bursted forth from the grave, not dead, but alive, he carries with him our lives, our bodies, once dead in sin, now alive together with Christ, so that the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus, who humbly gave his life for his body, for us, the church, has given us a purpose to be united in mind and heart so that the whole world may see the beautiful picture of what the church can be. A place where all people from all backgrounds are united together in love, caring for one another as they fulfill their purpose. The church can be a place where those who live in a fractured and broken world can look and say, I want that. I want to be a part of that. Let's strive to follow Christ's example and set our minds, our hearts, and our purpose on unity in his body, the church. Dear Father, we pray to you now. We need your help to be united as a church, Lord, because we confess that our hearts do not want to do what it takes to be united as a church. We want what's best for us, Father. We want to care about our own interests. Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy to give us new hearts, hearts like yours that are willing to humble ourselves with a purpose to be united as a church and going and making disciples of all nations. Father, draw our hearts into the things that captivate your hearts. Unity in the church, love for one another, serving one another. Give us your heart today, we pray. In Jesus' name.